Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate your support. We record the podcast every Monday and if you do enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Hello and welcome to the Gainline Wales Online's rugby show going out live on Facebook and YouTube and a little later on in podcast form. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Simon Thomas. It's one of those big days in rugby and it's the Wales v England team announcement days. We've had both teams. Uh, Simon, you've been sitting on Eddie Jones and Wayne Pivak press conferences. Um, It's always an exciting day, isn't it? Yes, I spent the morning with Edward Jones. Always an interesting experience. Um, it was a kind of mixed from him in, um, in terms of the the tack he was taking. On the on the one hand, he was uh, stressing how he thinks that Wales will relish being written off in this game, and talked about how they'll be motivated by playing in Llanelli uh, and kind of heart and soul land of Welsh rugby. But then on the other hand, he sent up the warning that Wales are going to face a level of intensity they've never encountered before. So. Uh, you know, it depends uh, which part of it you want to listen to, Eddie. From Eddie, yeah, he was, he's, yeah, he seemed um, quite upbeat, quite confident, and I guess they would be because England are playing well and Wales have gone through a tough time. Absolutely. Um, let's let's get straight into the, the Wales team then, because uh, that's I suppose that's the first thing to talk about. Largely as we expected. I mean, we did the story last night that Lloyd Williams and Dan Big were going to be the halfbacks. Lloyd's first start since Japan 2016. Um, one change that we didn't quite get right, uh, Liam Williams, not in the 23, uh, not still on over that facial injury, so Lee Halfpenny at uh, fullback. But w- what's your make of, of the starting 15? Well, Liam first, I think, um, appropriately enough for someone who was going to be playing 15. He had 15 stitches, I think, in his in his mouth after catching a boot against Georgia. So, I mean, they said at the time, didn't they, that he was going to be fine, but, you know, it's a nasty old injury, that, and, and clearly, having looked at it, they've decided that it wouldn't be appropriate for him to play. So he misses out. Hugely experienced, um, reliable figure coming in, or staying in the side in a sense, in, in, in Lee Halfpenny. You know, he'll let absolutely no one down. He'll bring that positional play and he'll bring that solidity. And, you know, there's an argument as well as perhaps when he does counter, he perhaps links a bit more than Liam Williams does, as we talked about last week. So, you know, fine player. Shame not to have Liam on board. Um, but there is still firepower in that back three with, with Adams and Louis Louis Samet, whoever he wanted to see play, and he, he's in for this game. I think the big talking point selections, well, one will be scrum half. You know, we've just been listening, and both of us to do his uh, Zoom press conference. And, you know, a month ago, he wasn't in the squad. Very few people really talking about him as an option. Um, he's come in. And now he's starting. First start for Wales in four years. It's a remarkable story. And I guess it's proof that you should never give up. And Lloyd, I know him quite well. And one thing he has never done is, is give up. And he, he is a consummate professional. And, you know, even over this uh, summer with with rugby being shut down and locked down, he trained harder than ever before. He talked to John Mulvihill about him. And, he's, you know, he's just been in absolute peak condition. Did that with the mind of being, you know, the ultimate professional that he is. And it's and the end result is he's now playing for Wales. And in terms of form, he's been excellent for Cardiff Blues prior to coming into the squad. He's probably been the form player in the time he's had on the field for Wales. And what he does bring is that ability to get the ball away quickly. 
from the, the ruck area, from the breakdown, which I think is, you know, integral to the way Wales want to play, especially against a side like England where you don't want to get, you know, trapped into an arm wrestle around the fringes. So um, that speed of ball he'll bring will be important. And he also is, you know, um, a very accomplished box kicker. So that's an interesting one. I think the other one that's got people talking is the selection of hooker. I think people probably thought that Ryan Elias would have slipped down the pecking order after having a bit of a torrid time with his lineup throwing in Dublin. Um, but Wayne Pivak is clearly an admirer, knows him well from their time together at the Scarlets. And um, explaining the selection, he's just got for their scrum, strongest scrumming front row. And the feeling is that Ryan Elias contributes on that front significantly. So he gets that nod. And then the other one really is the back row. Um, and to this, that one really, you're, you're talking a situation where um, really heavily influenced by injuries there. Josh Navidi, Justin Tipperick, Ross Moriarty, all unavailable. Um, so it's again a selection that just a couple of weeks ago you couldn't have believed it's coming. James Botham at seven. And you know a month ago you certainly couldn't have seen Shane Lewis, he was there either. I remember back in August watching Cardiff Blues beat the Ospreys and watching those two young flankers have a fine game. And uh, I remember thinking then of these two, they could be the future for Wales. Well, you know, just three months later, the future is now, isn't it? So uh, you never know what's coming around the corner. Indeed, and it's, it's some ask, isn't it? If you look at... Uh... The England team, you know, they've gone for a 6-2 split on the bench. So they've got two flankers coming off the the pine themselves. So for James Botham and, and Shane Lewis Hughes, this is, this is a real acid test, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think James will be more comfortable playing at seven than he did at six last week. I mean, that is his, really his position. And he does tail, dovetail very effectively with Shane. I mean, it, it goes back to almost the kind of Lydiate Warburton 6-7 that we've seen in the past you know, Shane chops people down, gets them on the ground. His tackle count is phenomenal. And um, James is very effective over the ball and in the contact area generally. Well, he also brings a real, you know, heavyweight tackling game. He uh, He's another serial tackler. And I guess realistically, with Falatau there as well, I think I mean 19 tackles against Ireland, something like that. You've got a back row there that is well-equipped defensively and, you might argue that's something that's going to be required with with um, the way England have, have been so dominant. If you look at the way they dominated possession, particularly in the first half against Ireland, Wales are going to be stretched defensively or put to the task, put to the test defensively. And you do have a back row there that can really sort of contribute on that front. Huge ask though, isn't it? For James in particular. Um, I mean, realistically, if you're looking at the open side pecking order going into the autumn, you'd have said Tipperick. Navidi, Josh McLeod, James Davis, you know, all ahead. Maybe Ollie Griffiths might well have come into the equation had it not been for the Dragons being in isolation, the Kobe outbreak there. But he's come, he's leapt over a number of players, but opportunity knocks sometimes. I know we try, we, we try and talk about James and just James and not the family, but I, I do tend to remember... Uh, Ian, Ian Botham being called up in 1977, once again, proof how old I am, um, to play in the Ashes series. I think he was 21 maybe at the time and got his chance, took it, and the rest is history. You know, and James is um, just listening to him now talking. He, he was you know, emphasizing the point that he wants to make his own legacy. And that's great to hear, isn't it? You know, he's proud of his family heritage, but 
he wants to be seen as an individual himself. And um, I know, having spoken to him a few times, just how much his, you know, his Welsh roots mean to him. Born in Cardiff, um, it's always meant a lot. And it was telling to hear him say, this is the game he's always dreamt of playing in. And despite having grown up in England, he always dreamt of playing in it, wearing a red jersey. Indeed. Uh, let, let's let's uh, stop and look at a couple of comments then um, before we go any further. Uh, Harley Worley, uh, Worthy rather, uh, put my reading glasses on. Surprised uh, Reese Webb is on the bench, would have gone for Gareth Davis uh, for impact. I suppose that's something to discuss is pretty much, the, not the decline, but just how far Gareth Davis has fallen in the pecking order. You think this time last year, he was Wales' starting scrum half undoubtedly in the World Cup and in the Grand Slam. There's been a lot of flux in that in that position this year. You know, we've this is now, you know, Wales's fourth starter in a calendar year, which is remarkable. Gareth Davis is a is a man whose whose sort of stock has, has, has fallen quite dramatically on test level, isn't it? Well it's symbolic of what's happened in that position though, Ben. If you look at it since Wayne Pivot's come in, it's been arguably the position that's seen the most chop and change. During the Six Nations, when he came in at the start of the year, you had Thomas Williams starting, Gareth Davis, Reese Webb. You had Kieran Hardy. Now you've got Lloyd Williams. To have five different people starting in the space of, what, seven games, something like that, seven or eight games, that's a lot of chop and change. And I guess it does point to the fact that maybe Wayne Pivak and Steve Jones haven't quite been able to decide exactly who they want then. Um, what they've gone for in Lloyd, I guess, is um, – Someone you know exactly what you get with Lloyd because he is, you know, he is he is a very polished performer, and he he plays a certain way for the Blues. What's interesting is that with Cardiff Blues over the last three or four years, he has become somebody who's implemented the box kick a lot, you know, and you kind of saw the Blues the contrast maybe between the live wire breaking, running, ball handling Thomas Williams. And Lloyd would be more the tactical, controlling nine with the box-kicking game. Now, I think what you saw when he's played for Wales this um, autumn is you forget sometimes just what a great service he's got. You know, it's a razor-sharp feed he gives to the backs, gets the ball away quickly. And you're seeing that side of him coming out again. The Gareth Davis one is interesting, isn't it? Because Pivak knows him really well from their time making the Scarlets and was important to them and the successes that they had. Um, but it just didn't quite work for him in the, in the game in this autumn. And Gareth will come again. You know, he's a real force of nature player. Um, Reese Webb's a quality player as well. You know, somebody who, you know, can make a real impact coming onto the field. So I think it is all indicative of the fact that when you've got a lot of options in a position, sometimes it's quite hard to decide what to do, isn't it? And uh, I still think we're in a process of flux. If you look at it, Lloyd... What what date? What's the kicker? What's the date of the game? It's the 29th this year or the 30th? Wales, England. It's on Saturday, isn't it? So I'm just thinking that Lloyd's birthday, he actually turns 31 on November the 30th. So um, he'll be looking for a little early birthday present there. Um, Reese Webb, I think, is 32 next month. Gareth Davis is at 30. Um, You're looking ahead to the World Cup. Thomas Williams just returned. What's going to happen over the next three years? It's it's a fascinating position. Kieran Hardy in the mix as well. Rodri Williams, the Dragons. Lots of options, 
but still trying to work out who number one is. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Quite a few comments about uh, Ryan Elias. Um, I think a lot of people aren't massive fans of him, if I click on the right comment. So Jamie Phillips here says, how fortunate is Ryan Elias to get the number two jersey? Needs a big performance on Saturday to prove that he's a test standard hooker. One here from Christian Morgan. Elias, just with size, you know, big front row. Otherwise, D is much better for him. It's a funny one because, I'll be honest, I've never been massively convinced convinced by Elliot D on the test stage. I've always thought he's, he's done well off the bench, but whenever he's been given a chance to start a match, he's never really grabbed the opportunity for me. And yet, yes. yeah, you're right. in many ways, he's his stock is rising in the Welsh public's eye by not playing this autumn. Well, Josh Navi, I mean, Josh's stock was already high. Ross Moriarty's stock already high in many ways. And when the team struggles in, in, in absence, notice it. On that front, let's say one other name, Ken Owens. You know, he, he makes you realise just what a cog he's been in that side for. A lot, you know, best part of a decade, really, in the squad. And then first choice, really, for the last five years, along with Alan Wynne Jones, you know, the heartbeat, the totemic figure in that pack. We thought he would be a difficult man to replace when he picked up that um, shoulder injury a few sort of last month, six weeks ago, and that's proved to be the case. Very difficult man to replace, and you perhaps don't realise just what Ken has brought until now. He's not there in terms of the reliability at set piece, the hard yard carrying, carrying the just the hitting of ruck, everything physically brings, and the, you know the solidity at set piece. It's been hard to find the man to take over. Parry's played in, I think, three of the games off the bench. They, they don't seem sorry to, to feel that he's ready to start yet. Yeah, they don't see that as the option. Elliot D came in, was part of um, a strong scrimmaging unit um, against Georgia, part of a winning team. And given the struggles that Brian Elias had had with his line-out throwing in Dublin, the expectation was that D would start. But everything I'm here and people I talk to about how Wayne Pivak views certain players. I understand he's got a he's got a lot of time for Ryan Elias. Uh, thinks a lot of him. Clearly, you know, sees him as the best scrimmaging option. I suppose it is valid to say that while um, Wales lost three lineups on their own throw, on their own throw in Dublin, there were three lost on their own throw against Georgia when Elliot D was starting. So it wasn't as if the lineup problems were really completely resolved. I mean, it's a fair bet. I think that. He'll be working very hard on that, Ryan, over the last two weeks. The other thing you've got to look at is who are the line-out targets this weekend in terms of what he's got to throw at. Yeah. He's got Jake Ball, who's a solid option at the front, and he's got Alan Wynn. Um, there's no tip break as a line-out option at the back. Um, I think a key, key man in the line operation this weekend could be Shane Lewis-Hughes. He's got a great leap, very athletic, both on Welsh, on your own ball and an attacking opposition ball. The same steal a few for Cardiff Blues. Um, he, I think, will be a key man. Obviously, that'll be tail ball. Great ball if you can hit it, but with it brings a risk. But I, I expect to see Shane as a pivotal line-out target for Wales this weekend. Yeah, I, th- I think it's... Obviously, Ryan Elias has become something of a sort of... Not an easy target for Wales fans because a lot of the criticism is is, is relatively justified, but it, it's it's very simple to just blame lineouts going wrong on the hooker. You know, it, it's a lot more complex than just a poor throw. I think 
I haven't massively looked at Wales's line out over the autumn, but the few things I have noticed is it just something doesn't seem right in how they're going about their business in terms of they're almost at times it looks like they're looking at how the defensive line out is set and then almost throw in there. You know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's there's two primary ways things tend to go wrong at a lineout. You either get picked off by um, an effective jump from the opposition, or you tend to overthrow. Now, if you're being targeted in certain positions, then you've got to adapt lineout call and look for other options. But if you're overthrowing, if you're missing your target, kind of there's not much. You're not going to go up very far, are you? You know. Dealing with an opposition jumping against you is one thing in a good contest, but when you're just overthrowing, that becomes an issue. And, you know, that's sometimes nerves, I guess. Sometimes the timing of the lift. As you said, there's lots of component parts. Jonathan Humphreys is the forwards coach, taken over from Rob McBride, a hooker himself, you know, somebody who has worked with, with many hookers and many lineup units over the years. Osprey's lineup was effective when he was coached there. It's just something that you can have to resolve through practice and working at it and getting the timing spot on. Um, it'll be intriguing to see just how much, especially early on, England looked to apply, apply pressure there, who they will look to get up in the air. Launchbury is a, an effective figure at the front, isn't he? You know, Wales really need the first couple of lineups to go smoothly just to give everything, and in particular to give Ryan Elias and um some confidence because he does offer a lot around the field as a carrier and he's a physical guy and you hope it goes well for him but um yeah you do you do worry a little bit about the line out because much because of Ryan's situation but because it, it hasn't functioned generally that well this autumn yeah I think you saw what happened to Ireland and they they tried to play their way out of pressure and, and be a bit sort of inventive with the line out that's exactly what Wales are trying to do at the minute they're, they're trying to evolve the line out into basically an attacking weapon in itself in terms of a, a platform and and that takes time and that takes things to go right and when it doesn't go right it's probably more noticeably wrong um, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we'll leave the line out first I think just one thing on your point you made there of course the Johnny May wonder try came from a steal on yeah. ball you know so uh, that's the risk if you lose line out ball to England on your own throw you would hope though because that came from Ireland turning down kicking penalties which they did a lot on Saturday like Wales will you'd hope with <laughs> Lee Harvey and the team Wales won't be doing that I don't think Wales, Wales are going Wales to take be, that risk Wales, Wales will be kicking from Swansea <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, funny that brings us on to the next uh, comment which is from Daniel Cook how can Wales fans overcome their extreme pessimism it's a spiral of despair it seems uh, he's a lot more optimistic well it's I will tell him all his time isn't it I will tell him. I will tell him. I wrote those who are subscribed to the Wales Online newsletter will get my weekly column, and they will have read in there this week me going through a, a series of occasions in the past, uh, over the last 30 plus years, when Wales were written off. It was something that was certainly habitually the case in the late 80s. And the um, number of times I rolled up to Cardiff in 85, 87, 89, England, overwhelming favourites, overwhelming in, in all those games. And Wales won the lot, you know, so it's not impossible. Eddie Jones was touched on it today when he said that um, Wales will relish being written off. And I think there will be an element of, um, certainly you can imagine the team talk from Adam and Jones, you know, in terms of what he will expect from his players and how he will use the kind of, uh, the way in which Wales are, really being given no hope as motivation. 
probably a little bit more difficult when you're then walking out to an empty stadium. You know, you, if you can, if you rattle the drums and then walk out to seventy-five thousand people going mad, it maintains the momentum, doesn't it? But Alan Wynn, you know, Alan Wynn will do everything he can to, to rally his troops, and he's a proud man. And um, there's a lot of you know young players in this England team who, you know, they're inexperienced, but the, there's some massive opportunity for them. Massive. You look at the likes of Reece Samet, Johnny Williams. Tompkins is relatively new to it. Lloyd Williams, I played for four years, started again for Yeah, it's massive for them. Samson Lee's got the chance now ahead of Thomas Francis. Um, Jake Ball, you know, you know he's going to come in hurting people. There's a lot of players there, you know, will, will be, you know, absolutely determined to show that and make the most of this opportunity. But saying all that, England will be really favourite. I think why, I think the pessimism thing is because people are fearful of an absolute drubbing. Let's be honest about it. I've seen people on social media today say, oh, 40, 50 points. I mean, that would be, I mean, that would be back to the, you know, the, the mid nineties and even the early noughties times. And I remember twice in a row, Wales went to Twickenham and lost, I think by a margin of 36 points. I mean, we do not want to go back to those days. And as Eddie Jones rightly said, a lot of the players involved this weekend, although there are new faces, a lot of the players involved were involved in the Grand Slam, were involved in a team that was three points away from a World Cup final. Um, so in a sense, that's putting a bit of pressure on the coach, isn't it? That's that's that out. Eddie Jones, though, that <laughs> but I mean, that is true. I mean, I think what you really want to see is a committed performance from Wales, which I think you will see defensively in particular. It would be lovely just to see a glimpse of, you know, the attacking game that Wayne Pivak and Stephen Jones want to put on. And I think maybe one little thought, that way that Ireland scored that try late on to Jacob Stockdale last weekend. Very simple chip over the top against the, the on-rushing defence. And I, I can expect that Wayne Bigger, uh, Dan Bigger, Wayne Bigger, would be interesting. Uh, Dan Bigger would, would be, you know, looking to exploit that aerially. Um, but it's going to be hard then, isn't it? It's going to be hard because we're playing against a very good side. Yeah. And we've had a tough run. But I suppose history does show you that you should never really completely give up when it comes to this fixture. Brings us quite nicely again onto the next question, uh, which is from Tom Parry. It's quite a lengthy question. Um, what do you think our overall game plan will be to outsmart a very aggressive English defence? They'll probably play very conservative rugby built on solid defence turnover like they did against Ireland. Will we try and kick tactically through Bigger and Williams, you know, box kicks, or will we try and run it and get it into the hands of Louis, Louis Rees-Samet and Adams and come up with some magic to break them down? Now, funny enough, I've been sort of going over the England defence. I'm hoping to, to find the time today to write a piece on that tomorrow. And it's it's going to be interesting to see what we do. Because if you look at Ireland last weekend, they came out with the intention to kick behind them and, and to exploit this place, uh, the space because England blitz very hard. Around halfway through this, I think after Johnny May's try, when they went 12-0 down, they just abandoned it and started chasing the game. And it's only later that they sort of reverted to it. So I still, I think that the kicking game is going to be the best way because England are just so quick out of the blocks in midfield yeah. in terms of the blitz. I think you've got to play off. We played off 10 a lot under Pivak. I think you've probably got to go back to the, the Gatlin sort of model of playing off nine just because then England can't get out as quickly. I think we're going to have to kick a lot just to keep them honest. I think... Even, obviously, a lot of it comes down to getting a platform to begin with. 
I think even if you look at kick chases, I mean, Liam Williams isn't playing, so we're probably not going to run as much ball out of kick chases, but England get more kick chases, uh, turnovers from kick chases than anywhere else. And it's against teams who don't drop number eights into the backfield, which Wales and Ireland don't do. It might be worth considering Faletau dropping back for kicks, just so if Halfpenny or someone does run, you know, decide to run it back, there's breakdown support. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, Bigger is, a, is an accomplished tactical kicker. Lloyd Williams is as well. Um, so I think they will utilize those skills. Um, whether it'll be an aerial contest they create or a kick chase into corners they create, that'll be interesting to see. Whether it be the wipers to the side or whether it'll be done the channels from Lloyd. Um, England are good into the high ball and it will be a challenge for Wales. The one thing that struck me particularly about the Ireland-England game is, along with Exeter, I think Ireland over the last three or four years have probably become the most efficient team in the world at exploiting the red zone when they're 10 metres out through successive ball carries. The pick-and-go has brought them huge success in very Exeter style. Just didn't work on the, against England. Such was the resolution of England's defence on the line. It was a period in that second half where they just, Ireland just pummeled away, pick and go after pick and go after pick and go. And like, it almost always with them results in a try for, for Stander or that's Rory Best back in the day or Furlong. Just didn't happen. And if they can't do that against England, well, I don't think there's much point Wales trying, if they get in those positions, to just pummel away. I think you have to look for something a little bit different. Um, I think that, it was interesting for me the try that was um, scored, the first try against Georgia. I don't particularly like Nick Tompkins being turned into a, a ball carrier. But the one thing he did do in that moment for that try for Lucia Samet was he kept the ball alive, managed to free his hands in, con- in contact. And I think against a, a, an all-encompassing England defence that is so physical in the close quarters, I think getting the ball away from point of contact, be it through an offload, be it through the speed of service of Ruck, be it even a, a kick to put pressure on. I think if we end up going into those big, unwelcoming English arms around the fringes or through pick and go, we're just going to get eaten up and turned over. I did an interview with Scott Quinnell this week and I asked him what, what it was like playing against England and he said, you spend a lot of the time just wishing a game of rugby would start because they basically look to strangle Wales into submission through the 90s and early noughties. Squeeze the life out of you, he said. And the danger that if you get embroiled in that kind of arm wrestle, this current England team will squeeze the life out of you in the same way. So it comes back to getting the ball away from the point of contact and then stressing the English defence in other ways. Easier said than done, probably. Yeah. But I think that will be the tactic. Yeah, because obviously James Haskell last week was talking about um, just just England's sort of mentality under Eddie Jones is any player who's not interested in defence isn't going to play for England. Every single one of them wants to, to smoke opposition players. So I think if Wales go into this match and you know play a few phases off 10 and then look to, say, do a pullback pass out to 12 to sort of get it wide, they're going to get absolutely hammered. I think they've got to really be quite adventurous with how they look to stretch the England defence because they push up so hard in midfield. I think you've either got to go 
coast to coast. And once you go coast to coast, then the forwards in the England defence will probably get a bit sort of splintered and, and a bit out of place. And that's when I think Ireland made a break on, I think uh, Gibson Park made a break where he sort of just looked around the fringes and it was um, it was Joseph, Slade and a few other play- like backs. And that's where maybe you can catch England off guard. But of course, all that's easier said than done when you're not really providing much of a platform by winning the collisions. The other one that interests me is Talupi Falatau. You just saw little glimpses against Ireland um, of him coming back to somewhere near the, the old Tulupe because the old Toby, because um, he's had you know a very tough time with injuries. It takes time to come back from that. You just saw a little bit, bit of it, specifically in the second half in Dublin. Now, when I think back of when he was at his most effective for Wales and for the Lions, it was when he was like the second carrier, where you'd have a lot of the time Jamie Roberts would make the initial bust, and then. Falata would be the person taking the ball of second, even third phase, and making those arcing runs, those wider runs, where he'd be actually running against outside backs, and using not just his strength, but also his good footwork in those situations. Now, in that sense, you wonder whether Johnny Williams could have a very important role to play for Wales this weekend. He was given a job last week because he was away in the Atlantic, and he was a day for direct hard running and getting over the game line. And he showed his ability to do that. I, I thought he was he was one of the main pluses last week. And I think he will have an important role. He's not a Jamie Roberts. He's not an enormous carrier, but he's an effective carrier. Yeah. And there's not, it's not just the carry bish, bosh, bash with him. He's got nice hands as well. So there were a couple he's of occasions. He's closer to a Hadley Parks, isn't he? Yeah. You look at it, there were a couple of occasions where he went hard, hard, hard. And then at the third time, little short, delicate, deft, you know, sympathy pass off the shoulder to Tompkins. Williams will have a key point, key role to play because he is the main carrier in that back line. I think if you can then get Tulipi Falato making those arcing runs, that's a threat to any side in world rugby because when you've got someone with that athleticism and power, because there's a lot of talk about whether he should play or whether Wainwright should play. You know, Wainwright had an excellent game against Georgia. But I mean, in, in fairness, prior to that performance, we've been saying that Aaron had slipped back over yeah. the year. So... You have to put it in the context of what Georgia, but it does tie in with what I've said for a while now. I think I think his his position, I think Pitback is right. I think eight is Wainwright's position because he does have that athleticism and pace and dynamism. And the more you want to get the ball in his hands, the better, and that's going to happen at eight. So a close call there. I just think that Falato's experience and perhaps his ability um, to deal with being on the retreat at times in the scrum, which may happen, and I mean, to take the ball out and make ground will count for him. But I th- I th- there are a few things I'd like to see this weekend. You'd love to see T- Toby really roll back the years and you know, show that he is still a class player. Absolutely. Um, indeed. It'd be interesting to see how often Wales do offload. We mentioned offloads a lot there. I think just the number of offloads have just dropped virtually week on week throughout the pivot reign, which is a disappointment because that's, that's really how you, you stop teams getting line speed in defence if you if there's no ruck. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll see some more this week, but it's probably not the weekend to do it. No, but I remember very briefly, I, I watched just the other day, um, the Scarlets try a tie burn scored against Bath in the Champions Cup yeah. during the best season we've seen from a regional team for quite a while. And that was all about getting the ball away from the point of contact. Quite often, prior to an offload, it was like speed of pass and speed of support play. It was all about the handling and keeping it alive. A couple of offloads in there, but speed of service, speed of passing. 
And I think Pivac clearly wants people who are comfortable with the ball in hand, get it away from the contact, get it away from the big lumbering opposition. Um, that's the template, isn't it? Let's see if it can happen. Absolutely. I suppose the final thing to finish on then on this show is predictions. Well, that's we the trouble. We had to talk about <laughs> Uh, we had a question go, about pessimism earlier, so we'll... You uh, go first. You go first. Um, it's, it's just hard to look beyond an England win, isn't it? Um, probably something like... I don't think it's going to be record-breaking, is it? I think 32-18, 30, 15, 32-15. Well, well, I got the margin of victory exactly right last week. Over the readers noticed, 18 points. Um. I think this week then, Roy really think, I think England will win by 22 points. And here's the question for you. Would the Welsh public settle for that? Um, no, it's probably the honest answer. I don't think. What's the tipping point margin for you? Well, this is the thing, is it? I mean, <laughs> we, we've, we've been in a PIVAC press conference this afternoon and... You know, Pivak, you know, Wayne himself isn't going to let this game define his reign in, in his mind. But other people might. And, and that, that, there was a few journalist questions saying, well, is it okay to lose to England this weekend? Which it's obviously not. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, if and when defeat does happen, how, how the Welsh public reacts. Because it's, it's, well, it's not going to be good, is it? I know. And then if you lose heavily and then your next game is Italy, you've played some decent stuff of late. You know, it's, uh, it's tough. That's, but let's let's try and end on a positive note and, and say that um, there are a lot of young, talented players in this team who have shown that they can offer things that you know other that provide reason to be excited about. And let's see Lewis Rees-Samuel running the ball. He's done it against English opposition in the Premiership. Let's see Johnny Johnny Williams making yardage. Let's see the old Falato. You know, let's see Jake Ball hurting people. Let's see the scrum going as well as it did last week. Let's not give up hope completely, he says. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's one to hope, out, uh, to hope for this weekend. And as always, you can catch all the latest action from Wales v England on Wales Online. Mm-hmm.